Hi, this is Colin from Worse in the Industry. We have a lot of laughs on our show, and we get in some pretty heated topics, so it's important to remember that the views expressed by the hosts of Worse in the Industry are our own, and in no way are representations of the views held by the Planet Ant Podcast Network or Planet Ant as an organization, even when we're right. Yell at us, not them. Thanks, and enjoy the show. This has been a production of Planet Ant Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Can I talk my shit now? I was playing two-hand touch, fuck it up, it's a hit now. When I hit the road, do a show, hit a lick, then I skip town. Run up in the spot, no dance, and I make them all get down. Boy, you better sit down. Yeah. Ain't nothing fancy, I'm still broke. Cross town like Yancey, I will throw. They say I'm in a spot they would kill for. I could put them in the wheel and they still won't. Jesse Ventura had never been a man or a wrestler and was only a vulture that was literally picking Chris Kyle's bones, I'd still be as big a fan of him as I am now. He'd still be a better man than Chris Kyle. I wish Chris Kyle wouldn't have wouldn't have died so soon so that way they could have met in the ring. <laughs> no. I don't mean yeah, Oh yeah. Jesse Ventura versus Chris Kyle. Here, in the here's the thing. That would be if those would two be motherfuckers if they, could have if, met in the squared circle, I would have paid so much money. Just, to see just Chris Kyle's face bouncing off the turnbuckle over and that's over assuming, and over that's again. That's assuming that Jesse Ventura gets to dictate terms. If Chris Kyle gets to dictate terms, he would just shoot Jesse Ventura when he was 12 years old, and because that's his preferred method of fighting. Like, that's what he's used to. Small targets, low to the ground, not firing back. That is the perfect, like, fight for Chris Kyle. I get it. It's easy pickings, but, you know, I would have still liked to It's your entire military career. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just something like that. I think them, those two, those two boys going at it in some, in some speedos. Jesse the Body Ventura and Chris, Chris uh, the the Albert Fish of Afghanistan, Kyle. Yeah, and Chris, 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 the, Chris, child killer Kyle. Child killer. Chris, Kyle Chris child killer Kyle. Oh, man. All right. So, well, that seems I would like, like uh, to see okay. those two boys in the squared circle. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, you know what? I actually, I would I would pay good money. I would pay now good what money you're to seeing here, Vince. You're seeing Jesse, he's bouncing this fucking chomo off the fucking turnbuckle there. Right, really giving him the fucking business. Oh, you hit him with an Irish whip. God damn, it's brutal to watch. Now you can see here that Chris Kyle's having a difficult time striking back because he's when he's str- when he's grabbing at Jesse's neck there, you can see his hands aren't used to such a wide circumference that he's used to strangling, you know, babies, maybe maybe even newborn infants in their uh there, you know, I know that the the U.S. State Department made up that whole thing about the Iraqi army uh, taking babies out of incubators, but it seems like maybe Chris Kyle did a little bit of the you know the old inverse there. Anyway, back to the action. Oh shit! What a suplex. <laughs> so do you do you think do you think Chris Kyle's finisher would have been called uh, Robin the Baby Cradle? <laughs> No, I think no, I think right. I think his fucking finisher would have been ironic. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> oh wait, um, no, his his finisher was a right wing nut job at a gun range. Am I right? <laughs> okay, let's the go. Right, the Montreal nut job. 
<laughs> Montreal nutjob. <laughs> Blown away. Oh my god. Feels good. Feels so, not so much. So many things don't feel good. That feels good. Yeah. God, Brad, Bradley Cooper played a great character. Anyway. I, I oh, he really it. cried at that. He fake really, baby. he really didn't. He really played a fuck because I've 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 been convinced to this point that Bradley Cooper is just a terrible actor. Yeah. yeah. Well, the whole thing is that he's he's pretty, and he can look stoic and mean and emotionless, but he's also very pretty and has a pretty smile. So when you do both of those things, you become a leading man. Yeah. Have you guys uh Have you guys watched A Star Is Born with the Lady Gaga? Yeah, I could get actually drunk and do a better job. Yeah. He. Okay. She was phenomenal. Oh my god, wait, well, she was, also, she, yeah. she was, she was perfect in that movie. Also great. gorgeous. She did, she did a great well, it's, it's job. It's semi-autobiographical, uh, you know, so clearly, like, her character is going to be the one that's better written, because yeah. there are portions of her real life in it, even if, uh, largely, it's fictional. Bradley Cooper's entire character can be summed up with, <laughs> Completely irredeemable. <laughs> and it's fine, it's fine to have that's a completely, whole character. it's fine to have an irredeemable character, if you make them bumbling around and being shitty or being efficiently shitty or like competently shitty, interesting. But every time it's just like, oh, he's drunk, he's on pills again. It's like, oh fuck, wow. So it's like, yes, this I get that you're, the point is dealing with alcoholics is frustrating, but like, I don't need to have that experience. Yeah, you could just show me great storytelling. Show me interesting scenes where that hey. happens. Hey. I just wanted to look at you for a little longer. I just wanted to look at you one minute. Yeah, a little, a little longer. Oh my god, fucking Christ. I've, I've, dude, watching older <laughs> movies, even bad older movies, I am so fucking convinced that nobody knows how to write dialogue anymore. That, like, it's just not an ability that exists. That, like, things are so self-referential. Well, the, the whole thing is, is you don't need to write interesting dialogue anymore because everyone's so pretty. Yeah, I guess that's part of it. I don't know. I like I, I find it harder to pay attention when people are just kind of generically attractive. Like it it's kind of like, you know, when a camera is like focusing and things are just out of focus. Like it just their faces are out of focus to me. Like I need like a fucked up feature to really like stay like pay attention, right? Like that's why yeah, Joe I, Pesci's I, great. I need a, I need a Marlon Brando looking motherfucker to really deliver he's a handsome, good line to me. But he's handsome in like a fucked up way. That he's, you're like, oh, a, that's great. Yeah, he's kind of ugly hot. He's kind of ugly hot. Like, not to say, like, at his, obviously, at his, at his height, uh, fucking, but, like, come on. Even in his older years, yeah, he is kind of ugly hot. I'd, but I'd fuck Marlon Brando. I would shit. fuck the sh dude, fucking, when he, his first role, uh, and, uh, what, it was Tennessee Williams, uh, Rain on a Hot Tin Roof, like, buddy. A Streetcar Named Desire? I think maybe mm. that was what he was in. But yeah, he was in A Streetcar Named Desire. I, th I feel like he was also in another Tennessee Williams production, but I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, like, he's perfect for it. And effect, especially because him and Orson Welles were, like, gangbanging each other on the weekends. Yeah, well, I believe it. you not? It's the also Marlin Quincy brand. Jones, I think. All right. Well, speaking of how stars are born, uh, we're gonna go ahead and get to the show. <laughs> oh, perfect oh, segue. That's Justin. a nice one. Oh, that's a nice one. Good job, buddy. Uh, that was much better than speaking Ooh. of blue. <laughs> yeah. No. Thank you. Look at this guy working. He's fucking earning his fucking dinner over here. Right. 
Dance, monkey dance. Uh, Justin, you're getting a whole dollar cash after you for that one. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, let's hey, not hi, be hello, and welcome back once again to Worst in the Industry, the show where we three sideshow acts attempt to put on our scholarly caps and bark a little truth to you from the roadside for naught but a dime. My name is Justin St. Peter, and I can't guess your weight, but I will guess your blood sugar. To my left... Step right up, step right up, look at the human Boston bean. It's Colin Stanley, to my left. My name's P.T. Bonham, and I'm going <laughs> to shout at you from the side of the road and say a bunch of racial slurs that don't make a whole lot of sense. But hey, you know, you're going to oh, pay me a dime, and you're going to come see my show, aren't you? And you're going to watch my terrible movie. Behold, the wretched Fenian. Behold, the square-headed Bavarian. You can just say Bavarian. Uh, Behold, the problems of the Elder human... No. Have you ever thought about the problem with baseball? Stop it. You stop that. All right, now step right up, motherfuckers, to my carnival of historic dickheads. Uh, it is a Justin episode, and I think some of the more astute of our listeners have a guess as to what the topic may be. Uh, if that guest was the father of modern American commercial hucksterism, P.T. Barnum, you win one Fiji mermaid. It's made of water Ooh, bottles. Barn. It's worthless. Yeah, it is. It's made of water bottles. It's just a bunch of plastic. Uh, uh, yeah. This I kind of actually... still would love to have a Fiji mermaid. If I do, if like we're actually giving them away, I w- can I get it first? Oh, if I saw one for like less than $100, I would purchase it in a heartbeat. It's like, if it was more I could than 100 bucks, I'd have to free. think about it. You... Where are you going to kill a monkey for free? Go to the zoo. Get you're, a net. No, you're, you're going to have to pay somebody off to get that monkey out of God, there. God well, damn it. You can't, actually, that's not a solo Actually, job. you're right. I mean, Jim Jones was a monkey salesman, so I feel like we probably have pretty lax regulations on getting little tiny primates up in here. Is Colin if we could that was in Indianapolis, though. Is Colin going to cause <laughs> another fucking Harambe incident? Not a, I'm not getting... So here's the problem. Is white people get great apes. I'm going to get a monkey. Okay. I can't wait until you call us screaming about how you got your dick bitten off. No, 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 no. The monkey will not be near my unguarded penis. Oh, my fucking cock's gone! <laughs> Just wake up crying. <laughs> fucking, uh, fucking monkey. He, he, he found the knives. He chewed me the lock open. <laughs> oh, fuck, man. I'm in the closet right now, man. It's like fucking Halloween, man. He fucking cut my dick off, dude. Fucking, I think he fucking cut my dick off, dude. I have, I can't look. <laughs> Please. Bro, bro, he I don't know. He so I fucking don't... deep, man. I'm fucking dying, man. Bro, I don't know. I don't even know how he got to the point of moderate tool use. Don't bro. call the police. <laughs> don't call the police. They'll just shoot me too. All right, all right. We need to figure something out. <laughs> call animal control. <laughs> call an- Tell there's a key under the mat. Call animal control. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, now the animal control isn't fucking narcs, dude. They'll fucking come. <laughs> do, do, do call the fucking cops. <laughs> Yeah, they would just right. shoot through the door or through the fucking closet wall and kill me instantly. <laughs> yeah, why not? <clears throat> now, this is actually going to be a two-part series about P.T. Barnum, with this first part today being told from his perspective and using his own autobiography, 
struggles and triumphs as the primary source. <laughs> what a fucking world, grandiose World War One and its consequences. <laughs> world War struggles and triumphs. When did like, he write this? It is when the exact opposite of World War One and its consequences, where he's just like, yes, yes, my life was very... I struggled very much, and I, I overcame so much in my I, life to scam I, as many people out of his fucking nickels as I possibly can. I P.T. Barnum struggled very much when i was exploiting a bunch of people with uh mental deficiencies as well as physical death malformities and also just people so it, from other places and just yeah random people from just like yeah he's you know he's exotic he's over he's from what? over there look at this guy in a cage he's from belgium what was the first draft What's title name was it mein kampf und sieg <laughs> like what the fuck <laughs> Oh god, I know. It was it's pretty yeah. Um <laughs> like he's like uh, no, the problem with Hitler is he didn't talk about his wins. You got to you got to brag about your W's. Nobody's going to brag on you but yourself. You got to gas yourself up. Yeah, I am I am really happy that he uh never went to never tried to go to art school. I feel like things might have been different. If PT Barnum had any illusions about his own ability, I don't think he would have made it as far as he did. Like that, he's like the lit, he's real world little finger. Yeah, I mean it, 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 it. So, um, to those who may be unfamiliar with the name P.T. Barnum, sit tight, and we will be going through a brief biography in order to humanize and introduce the man. But I have to continue to stress that this episode is from the perspective of mostly P.T. Barnum himself, using so his autobiography. Yep. So things will be colored a certain hue, so to say. It was it was like the episode of Enron that I did where I was like, I'm going to get neoliberal on you guys. Yes. Um, now, next week is when we'll be getting into the nitty-gritty, the real history of it all, with all of the broken people and crushed opponents P.T. Barnum left in his wake. History is written by the victors, however, and by God, P.T. Barnum won in his lifetime at all costs. The, the P.T. Barnum autobiography and the Benjamin Franklin autobiography, I feel like, should be required reading because they are so telling about not just America at the time when they were written, but, like, the, what the soul of America was and has been. Oh, Is God, yes. Getting, getting a view of way before the Civil War and then a view of, like, a mindset divorced from the ideas of the Civil War and a, and a more modern mindset than most people had at that time, I would say. Like, I feel like they are the perfect... Like, if you're going to have any lying asshole tell you the story of America through their own life, it's it's those two guys are probably top five, I would say. It's I would say that they definitely form a great perspective on the uh, 18th and 19th centuries, respectively. Um, you know, for sure. I think that you're absolutely right there. I think that those should be uh, two books that should be read by a lot more people. Both for historical context, like you said. And just because they are fascinating pieces of literature. I mean, and I think the, the thing that's so telling, the thing we're going to see like through the series, this like little two-parter, is how, like, oh, like, people who were alive three and four, like, the same thing with you're, this is what I love when you do these historical series, by the way, mm. is like just like with uh, Ayan Azir, like oh, people have always been like this. They've always been They've like this. Always, this is not new. It's just gotten way more aggressive and catalyzed as time has gone on. It's just, it's more, e it's easier to be that guy. So being that guy 
earns you less comparatively um and you are just shittier at everything because you are just a fragment of a more essential archetype that can no longer come into existence yep yeah exactly now phineas taylor barnum was born in 1810 (laughs) i see why he went with pt Uh, yep (laughs) (laughs) bit of a mouthful Uh, um dude was born in 18 bully senses are tingling you just they hadn't invented lockers yet so you can't put him in one but no just you jamming him the woodshed no the outhouse <laughs> don't get his head oh there's no water in there it was just shit and quick it's just suit yo because you're trying to kill him that's how that would kill like him that. that would kill him um yeah born in 1810 in bethel connecticut to a man whose trades varied from farmer to tailor to cavern uh, occasional tavern keeper uh in the parish but uh the family did well enough to send pt to school as well as some of his younger siblings um his teachers held him in high esteem for the day uh one of his teachers even pulled him out of his bed one night to settle a bet that the teacher had made with his neighbor about pt's mathematical skill uh, the, the teacher had bet with his neighbor that uh, P.T. could figure out the amount of wood in a certain area. Uh, and when given the, the area of the wood, P.T. had it figured out within two minutes uh, by his own reckoning. Oh, so he was a what? polymath. Yeah. I, so this is something that I actually believe from his autobiography. Because this is very common when we talk about like uh, mentalists and illusionists and the yep. way they would pull these... Tra- We're going to talk about that, I assume? No. Wait, okay. are you talking about Chris Angel Mind Freak? Not kind this, of, yeah. Not this episode. We so, but like, it, but... Ba- basically, a lot of the old school magic tricks that you would pull, and a lot of the like illusions and sideshows you didn't encounter at a carnival, were achieved by people who could do mental math very fast, or had a simplified system for guessing things, um, where they they would have a partner basically feeding them code words. Uh, Guess but, how many gumballs are like, in the jar. Yeah, a lot he of it knows. just comes down to basic human ability. And if you have an aptitude for it young and you really work at it, uh, you can do some really some things that seem magical, that seem impossible, but it's just because you're so much quicker than anybody else is as your baseline. Yep. <clears throat> now, also notable from an early age was PT's love of money. <laughs> he's like John Rockefeller. He's, he, he's like yeah. out there pulling griffs out of the cradle like a fucking little moses just running around i mean like yeah he was i mean he loved collecting money he hated spending it to the point where he would spend most holidays selling candies and cookies and other treats uh, instead of treating himself like other kids and would to paraphrase generally find himself a dollar or two richer by the end of any holiday um a, a dollar in the 1840s being no small sum especially to oh, a child a dollar yes. in the 1840s oh, so like- is like fifty dollars nowadays yeah he's like he's like the 1840s mark cuban yeah like it's i I cannot stress enough that like he worked from a young age and he he worked hard like he would work for his father he would work for other farms driving cattle um he would drive horses he would you know work for you know odd jobs for the store that his father ran yeah he's Um, like he's like that andrew carnegie john rockefeller kind of guy that that the the originators of the self-made man myth yeah exactly and like to the point where uh, the only thing that pt spent his money on growing up was his clothing that his father insisted he buy himself 
What a piece um, of shit. Yeah, which is super fucked. I love how you can see immediately where, like, his, neuro- his like, fucking, like, basically, like, compulsive neurotic obsession with money and getting and getting more money, like, comes from is his dad being, like, neurotically, like, st- like uh, fucking thrifty and stingy with him and constantly talking about, you would assume, how tight mo- things are and how much things cost. This motherfucker uh, came yeah. out of the womb and his dad was like, figure it out, idiot. Basically. Yeah, basically. And it's like, back then it was just like, it's a father's right is to govern his family as he so chooses. Yeah. <clears throat> now, little Phineas Taylor was a bit of a scamp and talks several times in just the first chapter of his autobiography about being beaten by full-grown adults for his shenanigans. Oh, yeah. That, well, you just like, he's lucky that he didn't get murdered by an adult. Yeah. Like, well, All right. the, All the right. shit so... that he was talking about was like, the dude would like set off firecrackers in hotel lobbies and, like, who's shooting sticks at people with a gun that had, like, black powder charges. <laughs> oh, so you should kill this kid. All right, so we're already at... We're Even already at the uh, severe head trauma part of the McDonald triangle. <laughs> yes! Which, that's been disproven, but yes. Yeah, you know, it's a through line. It's, yeah, it's, it's correlation, you know, anyways. Eh. It's it's like more you know, people get head injuries. It's it's more about like there's a problem with safety at playgrounds. <laughs> <It's>, yes. <laughs> um, now said shenanigans may have been inspired in great part by his maternal grandfather Phineas Taylor, for whom little PT was named. Uh, Phineas Taylor the senior was a legislator and a justice of the peace who also had quite a bit of land to his name and a oh so a psychopath penchant <laughs> yeah. for cheating the lottery. <laughs> A frothing lunatic. <laughs> yeah, he was a scammer. Um, I don't really have details on exactly what his scam was, but, like, he made a good portion of his... Like, I can't stress that enough. He made his money by scamming the state lottery. You know, so, I'm for that. Wh- what year is I'm this? I'm alright with that. This was the early 1800s. Like, the 1820s? 18... Eight, 1820s to... Uh, he was born in 1810, so this would be the 1820s, yes. So this was Jackson. Jackson presidency. Mm-hmm. Uh, which means there was a huge westward push, so he probably he probably got a bunch of land and a land grab from some Indians. Yeah, because of manifest destiny. And then basically grabbed enough land to become either some low-level low politician or bureaucrat who was then in charge in some part of the state. There was a lot of, like, if you could just, you could, like, figure out a way, like, a lot of these states just came to be because there was, like, 10 or 20 dudes in a given area who are like, all right, we own enough land to make a state now that we'll have the most control over. So yeah. let's make the state now. And uh, I'm sure something like that is what happened. Yeah, more than likely. Like, that's how Michigan formed. <clears throat> it was bad. Yeah. that's. It turns out that's how a lot of countries form. It's just, you know... The accumulation of capital. It's like you uh, live somewhere influence... your whole life. They just put up walls around it. And you're like, oh. Now it's mine. <laughs> uh, now, this influence uh, also extended to the wealth of P.T. Barnum, as uh, besides the small cash of money and the small group of livestock that P.T. had managed to purchase, uh, by the time he was in his early teens, his grandfather had also left him a plot of land by the name of Ivy Island in Connecticut. 
a worthless, swampy, inaccessible, and unplantable plot of land. Sounds like Connecticut, am I right? <laughs> hey -oh. It was literally given to P.T. Barnum as a joke. Um, it's his, his grandfather had given it to him at birth, um, which besides being, you know, a little in-joke of like, oh, you know, the, the young boy's got a plot of land to his own, you know, it's a bunch of bullshit that you can't get to and do nothing with, but it's his. Um, this also gave P.T. Barnum, like, the legal status of a landed man. Oh, so he could vote when he was, like, four. Yeah. It's, like, yeah. It's, this was this was back when being landed was everything. See, that's probably more, like, that's probably a big reason why they still gave it to him. Like, because you, you would assume that, like, yeah, like, they're not going to give him something good because they don't give a shit about him. And they're, like, stingy, fucked up people. And they'll never give anything away because they're hoarding everything, too. Um, but, like there's still part of them where it's like well no barnum is gonna not be a fucking citizen like yeah. no barnum's not gonna be a fucking voter like that you could see that that like it, it's not just the punishment of it being shitty plot but also like we can't let him fall below our social class that we have mm -hmm. you know striven for by cheating and murdering and raping and pillaging by scamming the fuck out of people <laughs> Um, now, taking his first real job, uh, P.T. worked at his father's dry goods store. Uh, he also discovered that he had a serious distaste for physical labor. Uh, however, he had a real way with words. Wait, um, Phineas Taylor Barnum had a problem father, with physical labor. Phineas Taylor Barnum. Father. Father, I don't, I don't much favor this work. It doesn't befit a boy of my build, a boy of my tawny, young, taut, limbed boy body. He does talk in like very explicitly in his biography about uh, in his autobiography, being like, "Yes, the work was beneath me. I found my muscles growing sore, and it made me feel like a peasant. And I decided then that I would never lift a thing above five pounds that wasn't made of gold or edible in some way." Yeah, which is, uh, honestly, the, the really funny thing there is that the Barnums, like, yes, they were landed, and yes, they, like, they had a little bit of money, but they, they weren't rich at all. They were hustlers. They were grinders. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were literally, like, they were, they, they were house poor. They were nouveau riche. They were petty bourgeoisie. Yeah. Um, they were very the Jacksonian. Jacksonian, with, yes. Now, uh, at the age of 15, P.T.'s father died, uh, and P.T. was left Good. to help his mother recover their insolvent estate. Um, his estate, apparently the, the value that uh, was quoted in uh, the book was his estate was sold not quite at 50 cents to the dollar, so at a little less than half its initial value. Uh, you, gotta, you gotta keep up that maintenance. Um, now, Justin, before we go any further, yes. this is, is, does this now become like a, a mama's boy story? Do we get um, to hear more about Mommy Barnum and their special relationship? Not really. Okay, that's good. Yeah, so PT, um, like, he kind of helped his mom recover the value of the estate, and, like, by the time he, like, left, left, they were doing okay. Um, but that's, that's really, that's really it. 
See, that's the difference between your your entrepreneurs and your serial killers. Is your serial killers stay with mommy, and the entrepreneurs know they have to leave mommy. Like, that's, oh yeah, that's no, where, he's no Ed Gein. That's where you get your L. Ron Hubbard's, your John Rockefellers. Like they're like, all right, mother, dad's yeah, dead. It's Bates. time to get the fuck out of here. If you yeah. stay, if you stay there though, the mommy curdles you, and then you start the killing boys. Curdles. It does something about it, man. That's a that's one hell of a way to put it. The mommy like, curdles you. It's like pickling and milk. Ugh, that's disgusting. Okay. Um, PT Curdle. eventually. <laughs> Why? Why? PT sought new York new work north and found more work as a clerk, which allowed him to save a decent chunk of money. Um, you know, a few hundred dollars you know, uh, that he would eventually you know, use to invest in businesses and other business ventures. Uh, eventually following his employers to Brooklyn, P.T. Barnum became intimately involved in the buying and selling of the products made by companies owned by a Mr. Oliver Taylor, uh, and he began to dream of opening his own business as he became very, very familiar with the ins and outs uh, of business. This would lead to P.T., uh, leaving Brooklyn for the time being. Uh, he would return to New York later uh, and moving back home to Bethel, Connecticut. He was waylaid by smallpox and then again <laughs> by other passengers on the ship he was riding, not liking his face because of his smallpox scars, literally forcing him off the ship while it was underway and making him walk. <laughs> Which is uh, fucked up because you shouldn't do that to somebody with smallpox scars, and it was literally just because he had smallpox scars. But also it's funny because it was fucking P.T. Barnum. I can't believe I have to walk all the way back to Mother's. I have to go all the way back to Connecticut on foot? My name is Phineas Taylor Barnum, and how dare you even suggest that I walk? I don't even know how to use my legs. Papa. Papa, I require some mode of transport other than mine own legs. If I have to walk another three feet, I will drown myself in the canal and your line will end with me. Sincerely, <laughs> Phineas Taylor Barnum. Phineas Taylor Barnum. <laughs> he really was like that kind of lip-wristed fop. It was great. Now be gone, crow, and deliver my message henceforth to my mother. <laughs> oh, God. Now, uh, back in Bethel, P.T. would start a business selling confectionaries. Excuse oh, like me. Dean Coral. Yeah, kind of like Dean Coral. There's a lot of weird parallels, to. I think oh. we just have serial killers on the brain, just like as a group. Um man with the candy yes now uh, he had several businesses beyond that including an auction house uh he would buy and sell real estate uh, speculation he would speculate Smart. on real estate he's um, the most essential american real estate come on yeah uh, eventually getting involved with uh the statewide lottery networks uh both in connecticut uh i believe in new york uh and his work there eventually led him to being offered a position as the head of all of the state of Tennessee's lottery, um, a like position he did not take. Because he's like, I, but if I take it, then I'm stuck here. But if I yes. leave, then I can cheat. Yeah. Uh, 
That's like that's you gotta imagine like that's probably the point in his life where he's like No I don't it's not just manual labor that I have a problem with. I have a problem with anything that gets in between me and getting the most amount of money as possible. And if I have to follow all the rules of being in government, that's gonna get in the way. That's gonna fuck with my money, and nothing fucks with my money. <clears throat> And that's this is I think the turning point in his life where he's like, no, I'm gonna be I gotta con full time for the rest of my life now. He really does. Um, you know this this is the point in his life where he's just kind of like, yeah, I know scamming's the way for me. This is this is when somebody like they're like, oh, the Philadelphia Eagles are having open tryouts. Well, I've never I haven't thrown a football in five years, and they go and they're like, oh my god, he's the best quarterback that's ever tried out here. It's fucking amazing. Is that I fucking just, Rudy? talking about that one Is fucking that scab. <laughs> yeah, that one, that union-busting piece of shit. Uh, yeah. But yeah, and no, he it's... He was a fucking, he, was, he wasn't even a quarterback, he was a lineman. I know, I know, it's a joke. But, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it, it feels like, it feels like he's like... I mean, yeah, it's, it's like a serial killer. It's like when the serial killer's like, I'm a no, I try to be normal, I can't be, I can't be normal... The only way I can come is if I start killing people. This is what I have to do now. This is uh, just how I come now, I guess. This is just how I come now, I guess. Uh, that's. I think that's the moment for him where he's like, it's not just getting the money. It's I have to be... I have to be having a game. I have to be running some kind of game to get my money or I can't come because this is... I'm not coming. I thought this promotion would make me come and it's not making me come. And I need to start scamming because that's the only thing that's gonna get these fucking these fucking rocks off. Oh, fuck. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, that's that is absolutely it. Um, he, it is, it is like that psychotic urge that they have to, to get things X. over on other people. It is that need to feel superior. Um, which may have been a result of his upbringing, it may have been a result of a lot of things, but it was there. Um, he had another business, um, a weekly newspaper that he started at, uh, when he was 19 uh, by the name of the Herald of Freedom uh, in a nearby town uh, in Connecticut by the name of Danbury. Uh, he eventually was sued for libel uh, by elders of local churches uh, because he... Um, I believe it was, he was complaining about usury, uh, and because of this, he was imprisoned for two months, uh, and he became, uh, a political liberal after that, so to speak. Um, I say political liberal because political liberals in the United States are still on the center, right? Especially in 1830. Yeah, he was like, democracy should exist, and some people should benefit from democracy. That's that's like liberal. That's classical liberal thought is, and then we don't address anything else, and everything else yep. is. We need to maintain the status quo. Just yeah, there's pretend. no further questioning or no question. It's okay. Be quiet. They just got just got to bed. Oh Christ! Okay. Rockets exploding outside. People screaming, set on fire. Baby starving to death three feet from the glass. 
Yeah, like fucking John C. Calhoun. You could call that guy a fucking classical liberal. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> um, now, this he operated his businesses in such a way, eventually earning even more ire for his editorial... Uh, I don't want to say shenanigans, because he was literally just like, this guy's an asshole, that guy's an asshole, that guy's an asshole. Like, it's... It was just him every week calling people dicks in this newspaper. So it was straight up Benjamin Franklin. Yes. Just doing the he same was, thing. He was the Benjamin Franklin of the 18th century. Yeah. Or of the 19th century. He really was, man. It's great. Uh, now, eventually, uh, in 1834, he would sell his store and several of his other businesses uh, at a profit uh, in order to move into a different industry. You see, P.T. Barnum wanted to move into showmanship. He understood that that was really what was going to scratch his itch, I think, kind of intrinsically. He knew that he needed an audience. He needed he needed a gimmick, and that was how he was going to get what he needed. Um, I need to dress up, and I need to shout in public if I'm going to come. Yep, he, he started uh, by purchasing an enslaved woman uh, by the name of Joyce Heth. Um, it had been claimed that she was George Washington's former nurse, uh, and separately, that she was 161 years old. Now, P.T. lived in New York at this oh, time. Oh, so she's a witch. She was not 161 Medical years oddity. old. Uh, she was no more than 80, but she was still very old, and still, again, an enslaved woman. Why did I think that P.T. Barnum's mindset was divorced from the Civil War? Why did I think that? That's so wrong. You shouldn't. Um, because, like, again, he owned people. And this yeah. was when slavery was illegal in New York, where he lived. Well, He got through an illegal loophole where he had leased her for a year. Yeah, it's, it, was, it, was, it was not illegal. It was just, it was out. You had to work around it. It was, you couldn't do it there. But yeah. you, like, you couldn't if, do it in If New you York. had slaves, you could bring them to New York, and they would still be slaves. Yes. Yeah, like, I love that, where they're like, we don't like the fact that people own slaves. You could still bring your slaves here if you want to spend a little money in the city. But other than that, not cool. Yeah. Not cool. Don't bring your slaves well, here. Well, bring your unless... slaves. Make sure that you pay for your things for your slaves in the cities so we can get a little bit of that tax yeah, income yeah. for the governor's yeah. mansion. There's, I heard there's a room that he has threesomes with his brother in. And then, other than that... <laughs> Alright, well, um... Bring your don't slaves. Bring his, don't bring, bring your slaves. slaves. Wink, wink. Why don't you bring nudge, the whole nudge. family, including the Just slaves bring, and their families. Do slaves, are your slaves allowed to have families? Sometimes people love them. It's terrible. It's fucking. It yeah, is it horrific. Is, it is. It is really. You really have to lay comedy on thick to not talk about America's uh, one of its oldest holocausts. Yeah, the horrifying past of the North American continent and European settlers. A half uh, has never been told. Read it. Uh, after a year of working this woman for 10 to 12 hour days, uh, every single day without rest, um, Joyce Heth died. She, she died. Really? 
Why wow. not? Because she was guessed. 80 years old and being worked to death by P.T. Barnum. Uh, and instead of allowing this enslaved woman the oh. dignity of a funeral uh, or even, you know, a cremation, uh, he posted a public autopsy uh, and charged 50 cents ahead for spectators. It's like, uh, it's like when Iceberg Slim talks about getting uh, a few extra tricks out of a, a lady uh and how like it's like yeah well i'm gonna get mine in the like even when i know you're done you're not done until i'm done with you uh it's just like yeah it's just like treating really like obviously people thought about slaves as, as property and objects but really just like putting a big fucking bold underline really, yeah but yeah, he treated iceberg, that woman like least. a draft horse at least Iceberg Slim wrote a funerals. compelling book. P.T. Barnum did not. No. No. It's And I have to say, as a person who has read a P.T. Barnum's autobiography, it is not compelling. It is not humanizing. P.T. No. Barnum does not make himself look good at all. He, he thinks he does. He simply faces everything matter-of-factly, and he thinks that makes everything okay. And he's lying, uh, you can assume, about a large portion of things. Uh, yes. but yeah, it's like, it's more about, it's like reading, it's like trying to read American Psycho and being like, oh, this is how I should be. It's like, no, this is more about a commentary of the way things are. Yeah. But a lot of, a lot of dudes that I went to high school with on Facebook, uh, constantly share things from Jordan American Belfort. Psycho to make him seem like he's a good dude. So he's a good, he's a good guy, right? Yeah, he's a great guy. Just yeah, like those, Tony Montana's a great like guy. Machia and... Like Machiavelli's The Prince, which was it, not the, a satire. And, and those are the, those are the same guys Definitely that not. told me that COVID isn't real. COVID's Definitely not real. Not Do you know how either. I know that? Because Aristotle said <laughs> that I fuck boys' thighs and they're going to put me to death over this, Socrates. Pass the weed. Pass the hemlock, bro. And Socrates was like, I'll got you, bro. I'll cover for you. Because that's what bros do. Bro code rule number 154. Always cover All for right, now, bro. Now get over here and bottom for me, Socrates. No, that's disgusting. That's for barbarians. God, I can fuck just each picture, other's I can, oiled thighs. I can just picture Socrates with, with, a, uh, with a backwards but slightly crooked monster energy hat. Bro, All we are is dust in the it. wind, bro. All we are is dust in the wind. Diogenes wears a denim wind. vest. He's a crust punk. Dude. Yeah, that's just Diogenes, though. He's um, just covered in his own shit. He invented showering so he couldn't, so he would stop doing it. Gigi Allen and Diogenes share more ideologically than any other modern-day philosopher with any classical philosopher. You're right. <laughs> P.T. Barnum's next foray uh, into showmanship uh, was with his, quote-unquote, Barnum's Grand Scientific and Musical Theater, a uh, mixed-media kind of vaudeville act, um, mostly music. They had a good year, uh, and then they hit the Panic of 1837, uh, which was a four to five year long major economic recession that hit the United States at this time. There is no place to spit in a rich man's mouth, but mouse house, but the floor. All right. Yeah. I mean, we got there eventually. Oof. Spit in my mouth. Freudian slip. 
man. <laughs> Spitting in his mouth. Sorry, mommy. Sorry, mouth. Sorry, mommy. Sorry. <laughs> We're just out here asking neighbors. Anyway, are you a registered voter? <laughs> um, <laughs> I have to not Anyways. draw attention to that, but uh, damn it. Um, now, eventually, P.T. Barnum would purchase in 1841, uh, after the major economic troubles were over, uh, a failing oddities museum in New York City by the name of Scudder's American Museum at the location uh, of Broadway and Ann Street. Jesus fucking Christ, could you imagine what that fucking property costs now? I believe it's... Uh, the American Museum is no longer there. I'm not sure what is there. Well, just for, the, just for the, the lot. Just for the lot. Oh, just for the uh, lot? Uh, millions. Just for, yeah, just for Probably that, oh, yeah. billions. Uh, to, to buy it outright, Tyler? Yeah. Uh, and you said it's Broadway and Anstrey. Uh, it's probably, like, I would say... To buy it outright, yeah, you're going to spend probably like $750 million at least uh, outright to buy it, definitely. And, I mean, if you're going to if you're gonna rent it, you're, you're spending like $20 million a month. Oh, easily. Like, Fucking it's a, easily. a stupid amount of money. <laughs> yeah. Although, no, depending see, on the, oh, how the plot is zoned, it might be like somewhat rent controlled. So, you see, Mr. Mr. Realtor, I'm going to set up a Airbnb here. And I'm going to charge million dollars a day. That's, you charge $20 million a month. I'm going to make $30 million a month. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in a development company that just won a contract with the city to buy, to, to build uh, low-income public housing. And uh, instead, I'm going to push an initiative to rezone it as uh, commercial housing and then i'm going to swoop in as my company uh, a real estate company i'm going to go in i'm going to buy all those apartments and then i'm going to jack the rent up on them leave them vacant because really what i was doing was i was trying to increase the the value of a property i own down the street so that i could sell that off make some make some money off of that so I could put that into another investment across the country and i'm just going to leave those apartment buildings empty for the next like uh, 18 to 25 years and nobody is going to ever say or do anything about it and then there's never going to be a housing crisis uh, uh, Mr. Zillow is it uh, could you keep <laughs> could you write that down while I, while I go get something <laughs> no I'm the head of the SEC ah uh, never <laughs> uh, um, now after purchasing the building uh Barnum put quite a bit of money into it. He, he upgraded everything, including, and especially the advertising. Um, you know, lights at night, flags and paintings during the day, a lot of bright colors, barkers on every corner. I mean, he understood the need to get the name out there, I think, more than a lot of people. P.T. Barnum truly was the first huckster, or the first American huckster, you know, to understand advertising. Like, we had people before in contemporary to him like like fucking joseph smith this is contemporary to joseph smith this is contemporary to the rise of mormonism the difference between pt you, you can't talk and shit joseph about this smith, man you can't talk shit about this man about his branding he really knew branding he was oh he understood this was the age of your literal snake oil salesmen and faith healers 
mm-hmm. that would travel from fucking town to town. And, like, you gotta say, like, people weren't dumber, necessarily, or more ignorant, necessarily, but they were definitely, like, more bored and willing to believe things. <laughs> like, oh, if it breaks up the monotony and maybe also helps me, I'll fucking do it. So, somebody like P.T. Barnum, who's just there to entertain and isn't even really asking you to buy in beyond, like, think you got your money's worth, mm-hmm. like, even better, even better, versus Joseph Smith, who needs so much more of a leap of faith, but because he wants so much more power, he, that's you what you need. You need to get people in deeper to get that mm-hmm. equal output. Yeah, and that, that really is where the two, two differ, is, yeah. you know, P.T. just needed to get people in the door... He just needed their money. He didn't care about their fucking love. He didn't care yeah. about their trust. He just wanted Whereas their Joseph money. Joseph Smith wanted that ultimate. He wanted trust everything. And, yeah, he wanted it all. He wanted it all, man. Him and Brigham. I have a quote here from P.T. Barnum. Uh, uh, you know, he had quite a bit to say in his uh, book about what he did for the museum. In 1865, the space occupied for my museum purposes was more than double what it was in 1842. The lecture room, originally narrow, ill-contrived and inconvenient, was so enlarged and improvised that it became one of the most commoduous and beautiful amusement halls in the city of New York. At first, my attractions and in... Inducements. Inducements? That's what I thought it was. Yep. (laughs) At first, my attractions and inducements were merely the collection of curiosities by day and an evening entertainment consisting of such variety performances as were current in ordinary shows. Then, Saturday afternoons and soon afterwards, Wednesday afternoons were devoted to entertainments and the popularity of the museum grew so rapidly that I presently found it expedient and profitable to open the great lecture room every afternoon as well as every evening on every weekday in the years. On great holidays, I gave as many as 12 performances to as many different audiences. By degrees of the character of the stage was changed. The transient attractions of the museum were constantly diversified, educated dogs, industrious fleas, automatons, jugglers, Ventriloquist, living statuary, tableau, racial slur omitted. <laughs> Albinos, fat boys, giants, little people. There's a different word there. Uh, rope dancers, live Yankees, pantomime, industrial music, singing and dancing in great variety. Dioramas, panoramas, models of Niagara, Dublin, Paris, and Jerusalem. Hannington's dioramas of the creation, the deluge, fairy grotto, storm at sea, the first English punch and Judy in this country. Italian Fantinocci. Whatever. It's I do. I couldn't do it either. I couldn't do it either. Italian Fantacini. Sounds like you're just saying Fettuccine racist. It does sound like he's just saying Fettuccine. Fettuccine. Hey, fuck, hey, look at these noodles. <laughs> mechanical figures, fancy glass blowing, knitting machines, and other triumphs in the mechanical arts. Dissolving views, American Indians who enacted their warlike religious ceremonies on the stage. These, among others, were all exceedingly successful. Um, now, as you can see from a couple of things that I have changed in this quote, again, P.T. Barnum was a racist. Uh, 
was that word the one that you omitted was that considered a slur back then i don't know of course not but that's because they weren't considered people it so. was yeah it was it was the slur that's commonly used for the travelers yeah uh, um, romani i don't because there was a time where i feel like that was the only word that yeah but it wasn't knew. the word that they used to refer obviously. to themselves as yeah obviously so it can still be a slur if the only if it's the only thing they've got. Basically, if you've ever seen Borat, you you know which one we're talking about. Yeah. Well, uh -huh. no, the other one. Uh, oh, the other one, not that one. Not, the other not one. Not the one. Not the one from the beginning of Borat, but the one from all throughout Borat. Yeah, the one from the whole thing. Ah, uh, Jesus. <laughs> My name is John Chevrolet. Um, now, this American museum would grow to be one of, if not the single most popular destination attractions in America. If you were going to New York on a trip, you went to the American museum. Like, that is just what, that's what you did, is you had to see it. Because there was everything there was to see there. Um, the scams varied from, you know, uh, Fiji, the Fiji Mermaid and Tom Thumb to Thumbelina. You know, like he said, giants and little people, you know, all kinds of acts that we would consider normal, like jugglers and musicians, dancers, singers, um, sword swallowers, fire breathers, the regular circus acts. I'm sure he had circus geeks. He had everyone there. Oh, I love a geek. I, everybody loves a geek. Oh, dude, I just... Okay, real quick, love to say right now, brief brief advert for the, the Guillermo del Toro film, uh, Nightmare Alley. Fucking yeah. great. It's so good. I Like, I get that, like... If you don't like Guillermo del Toro, you won't like it. And if you don't have patience for something that's, like, kind of, like, campy and, like, very genre-heavy, you won't like it. Mm -hmm. But they do a very great job of depicting what a geek is and ex like centering a story on the concept of a geek and that it's just like yeah you basically horrifically drug and abuse an alcoholic or a homeless guy if you can get your hands on them until they're so desperate that they'll kill chickens with their teeth for money mm -hmm. there was a whole industry based on that yeah it's uh yeah it's terrible it's horrifying and it's uh yeah i'm so like it's a war crime. Doing that to somebody is a fucking, like, it is, it is a horrific, like, act on the magnitude of a crime against humanity. Like, it is a terrible thing. Yes. And it's just that casual. That be understated. Just so casual that it's like, yeah, we got a geek. Yep. We traffic in kidnapping and torture. We got a guy. When he dies, we'll bury him in a shallow grave. If he's lucky. If not, we'll feed him to the next geek. Or we'll, we'll boil all the flesh off his bones and use the skeleton in an exhibit. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Alright, now I, I noticed one of those exhibits in particular, and I want to I bring particular attention to it because it was his, uh, his first hoax. P.T. Barnum would eventually become infamous for the number of hoaxes that he would bring to the fore, um, including the uh, later Cardiff Giant. Um, he would steal that from another huckster, um, literally having an artist recreate it in immaculate detail. 
Um, which, again, the Cardiff Giant was in and of itself a, a hoax. That was another huckster that we won't get into because the story is much less interesting. <clears throat> now, the Fiji Mermaid was not just a hoax because it was not real. The Fiji Mermaid, for those who are unfamiliar, was the mummified top half of a monkey, uh... Basically just stapled to a fish. <laughs> it was... Uh, uh, and it, then posed like Rain Wilson in uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh, uh, was the was the Fiji monkey also a Baha'i? You can't hear me shaking my head at Colin, but he can see. <laughs> it's a wild religion. It's very interesting. It is pretty nutty. They think the guy just disappeared... But then there's a historical account that's like, no, he just ran into a building really fast. <laughs> oh God. Um, Either way, now, it's not only was not only was the Fiji mermaid just a straight up hoax because it was a pure fabrication. It was stolen from one of P.T. Barnum's business partners. I love that P.T. Barnum did that. He also like Donald Trump. Like I know we talk about, I bring him up a lot. Because he's, like, the current moments, like, character. Like, mm -hmm. he represents so much of what America is now. Yeah. Uh, but, like, P he's just like P.T. Barmer. It's just like, oh, yeah, I owe this guy money and I decided not to pay him. Or, like, this guy had this thing that I wanted, so I stole it from him. <laughs> like, it's just I take what I want and I don't pay people back. And I, like, <clears throat> fuck literally everybody over. Like, to the point where it, it, it seems often short-sighted and less pragmatic because it's like oh you could have gotten more out of that person it seems almost compulsive the way they do it that it's just like oh this is just how i treat everybody and once i yeah, get what i want to treat people yeah once i once i get what i immediately want out of them i'm done and i just whatever they can give me after that is extra is fucking gravy yep <clears throat> um now like i mentioned briefly earlier pt barnum was hefty heavy into his branding and his advertisements um not only would he advertise locally he would advertise nationally pt barnum would expand aggressively uh, he would constantly turn to new and flashier tricks to draw more and more and more people into his museum um within five years of him purchasing the museum it was seeing almost half a million people a year make america museum again so in 1840 the population of america was only 17 million people so this was a good chunk of the population who had all very personally seen this man's museum in a time when travel was very difficult now what pt barnum had to say about his advertisement is also very interesting it is hand wavy uh and he truly it just shows how careless pt barnum truly was it was the world's way then as it is now to excite the community with flaming posters promising almost everything for next to nothing i confess that i took no pains to set my enterprising fellow citizens to a better example i fell in with the world's way and if my puffing was more persistent, my advertising more audacious, my posters more glaring, my pictures more exaggerated, my flags more patriotic, and my transparencies more brilliant, 
than they would have been under the management of my neighbors? It was not that I had less than I had less scruple than they, but more energy, far more ingenuity, and better foundation for such promises. In all this, if I cannot be justified, I at least find palliation in the fact that I presented the wilderness of wonderful, instructive, and amusing realities of such evident and marked merit that I have yet to learn of a single instant where a visitor went away from the museum complaining that he had been defrauded of his money. Surely <laughs> this is an offset to any eccentricities to which I may have resorted to make my establishment widely known. That's a, such a fucking this, bald-faced lie. This book is lie. this this book is very similar to uh, someone who would come after me, a, a little man named by na by the name of Adolf Hitler in his book, uh, Mein Kampf or My Struggle. It is basically the same fucking thing. <laughs> it's just I didn't commit mass genocide. My name's P.T. Bonham, and I can say that because I'm dead. <laughs> He's I mean, right. You, you he's can right say anything though. We want about PG. Uh, I mean, yes, he is. He's right about it. Not like, oh, like if if you feel like I was conning people harder than anybody else in business, it's not because that I was a worse person. It's just because I was working harder. He's right about that. That's he's one hundred percent right about that. He's wrong about people not complaining about feeling defrauded of their money. Uh, he's wrong. He's not wrong. He's just lying. Yeah, no, he's he's just blatant. He's like, yeah, the hundreds, if not thousands, of times that has happened to me over the course of my career as a as a criminal. Yeah, no, never, not once. <laughs> fucking idiot! You fucking asshole! What a fucking piece of shit! I love that he thinks that it won't get out. I love that he thinks that like it's like, oh, you know what? PT said it never happened. <laughs> But now, I mean, I guess back then people probably were more gullible. No, they were definitely a lot more gullible. People weren't was, stupid, but people wanted people were more trusting. And there was a lot less ways to verify information. Yes, you just had to trust people on a lot of things. Yeah, yeah you had to go to like like Smart Jim, who also only had one arm, and Smart Jim was like, "Yeah, checks out." Checks out. He's a good guy in my book, but maybe somebody's paying Smart Jim to give those opinions. Yeah, distinctly possible. Maybe a man smart named Jim's smart enough to ask for a fucking Phineas paycheck. Taylor Barnum. How do you think he fucking earns like fucking paycheck having one arm? It's not out there reaping he, corn with no, one arm. He's 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 not bailing hay. That's no, how he lost his fucking he's arm. Sitting in the fucking front porch drinking sweet tea every time we go over. How come nobody's ever thought about this? Who the fuck is paying Smart Jim? Who I'm going is to paying Smart. I'm going follow to follow the gym. I'm going to his fucking house right now. I'm going to burn that motherfucker down. Smart follow Jim, you get your ass money. out here right now. Is PT paying you? Um, now, P.T. Barnum... Jim and his brother, Simple James. Simple Jack. P.T. Barnum would continue in this same manner of finding new attractions and either purchasing them, copying them, or stealing them outright uh, to collect into his American Museum, as well as some other museums that he purchased in major American cities, such as the Peel Museum in Philadelphia, which is actually the first uh, museum in North America. It's terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Uh, PT, PT Barnum got his grubby little fucking fingers all over that. 
Yeah, it wasn't great. Um, he did bring, you know, other people to prominence, uh, such as Charles Stratton, a.k.a. General Tom Thumb, uh, who he at one point toured around Europe uh, to many monarchs, um, including the Queen of England, who he uh, introduced him to first. It was really, really funny because she found him amusing but very sad. They love dwarves. Yeah, they love little people. Um, this this opened the door for him to introduce uh, General Tom Thumb to quite a few different European monarchs, allowing him to pick up even more attractions along the way. From there, he would promote singer Jenny Lind. He would promote Native American singers and dancers as commodity acts. He would promote minstrel acts, um, you know, these, these very racist things, uh, until he was about 60 years old. Um, after which he had spent some time trying to encourage the idea of uh, diversified leisure. Uh, he spent some time trying to demystify the theater, which to most puritanical Americans was kind of a... It was a thing of pleasure and therefore evil, um, and he wanted to make it you know, a much more neutral thing in American culture to mix success. He was trying to franchise live performance. Mm-hmm. That's see. I love that. I love he's like. Well, the Civil War's over. Reconstruction's happening. The Civil War hasn't begun yet. If he was sixty, you said he was born in eighteen ten. Oh yes. No, I'm sorry. I did. Uh, I skipped over a little bit there. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yo, you are right. Yeah, at sixty years old when he he joined the the uh, he, that's when he started his circus enterprise. Yeah, that's. I love that because he's like he's like oh you can't make money off just having a business. The real business is owning people who own businesses and you have to to just franchise it he's like yeah i figured it out fucking this is i'm so smart i'm so smart i figured it out (laughs) i mean he he really is the blueprint for modern american business thought oh he's like roy i i wish i wish they hadn't done a movie on him because i would have loved to do an episode on roy crock but like he ray crock is it ray crock it's Ray ray crock i think he is like Ray Kroc, where he's just like, though the money is not the money is not in the burger. The money is in the process. The money is in, and then figuring out, oh, the money's not even in the process. The money is in the land. Yeah. Uh, now I should uh, I, I should state uh, the reason that P. T. Barnum got into the circus business is because before the Civil War, uh, his museum was burned down by Confederate sympathizers yep. twice. I think that's depicted in the film Gangs of New York, I believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it happened not only once, but twice. At that point, the financial burden became a little bit too much for P.T. to bear. And so he left the museum business. <laughs> I love he's like, you burned it down twice, I'm fucking done. It's he's too- like, I'm not, I'm not building Burned it, it down once, shame on me. Burned it down twice, shame on me. Looks like I'm a fucking idiot. Looks like I'm done with the Looks museum Looks like I'm done business. with the museum fucking business. Nobody makes a fool of me, and I'm done with museums. Looks like I'm just going to buy a tent and be a bitch. I'm going to buy a... I'm gonna, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start putting... You know what? Never burns down a giant piece of fabric. I'm going to go out on the road. <laughs> my big billowy piece of fabric that'll never burn down, god damn it. And when it I'm gonna does... Put fire, I'm going to put fire breathers in there, too. When it too, does, I'm going to fill it with gasoline. Happen. 
It's never gonna burn it down. And when it burns down, ten percent beer all over the fringe. <clears throat> now, uh, the first circus that P.T. Barnum began um, went through various names. Um, P.T. Barnum's Greatest Show on Earth, the Traveling World's Fair, Great Roman Hippodrome, and Greatest Show on Earth. Great London Circus, Singer's Royal, Royal British Menagerie, and the Grand International Shows United, uh, eventually merging with James Bailey and James L. Hutchison. They eventually shorted the name uh, to what we know it as now, because this circus still tours. It is Barnum and Bailey's Circus. Um, I saw Barnum and Bailey's Circus perform when I was a kid. Oh, I did too. I saw the Back when they brothers. still used live animals. I saw the Ringling Brothers when they used live animals. I felt sad when they brought up the elephants. Yeah. Because I'm like, I think it was the first time I realized, I think it was maybe like nine years old, and I realized, I was like, oh, the only reason that an animal does that is if you hurt it a lot first. And it yeah, was just like, if you make it do that. Oh, they don't belong And then here. it was just like, oh, but elephants remember things and they have emotions. Oh, they're committing a crime. And I think I started crying. Yep. Uh, P.T. Barnum was notable in his use of trains in transporting his circus and his acts all over the country, one of the first to do so. This allowed him to take large acts such as imported elephants and move them to faraway places wherever you could get a train line. Like circus, racist circus. Like Colin pointed out, this did lead to a massive culture of animal cruelty uh, in the circus community. Um, it is hard to understate, or uh, sorry, hard to overstate the sheer quantity of animals killed just by negligence uh, in this time period alone. Yeah, they would pack the a, they'd pack a fucking train car full of cages. Right? So they're, like, they're not even letting the animals out into, like, stalls or something like you would with horses. They're just literally, like, packing animals in cages, packing those cages one against another inside a train car in the heat, unair un conditioned just rail cargo cars, and then mm -hmm. just leaving them in there for days at a time sometimes. Just, yeah. just to fucking bake to death. No water, no food. And then the training was even more grueling on the animals. I mean, it, it, is, it is hard to say that, like, P.T. Barnum did not give a shit about his acts. Their and he property. was perfectly fine, perfectly fine, making a, a hoax. Their um, property. He had, yeah, he had an interesting quote about uh, showmanship, really, that, um, and, and the, the lengths that he was willing to go, uh, uh, you know, to make this happen and to get the dime. Um, which, Tyler, if you would like to read that last quote there. All right. The show business has all phases and grades of dignity, from the exhibition of a monkey to the exposition of the highest art in the music or the drama, which entrances, umpires, and secures for the gifted artist a worldwide fame which princes might well envy. Such art is merchantable, as so with the whole range of amusements, from the highest to the lowest. The old word trade, as it applies to buying cheap and selling at a profit, is as manifest here as it is in the dealings at the street corner stand 
or in Stewart's store, covering a whole square. This is a trading world, and men, women, and children who cannot live on gravity alone need something to satisfy their gayer, lighter moods and hours. And he who ministers to this want in is in a business established by the author of our nature. If he worthily fulfills his mission and amuses without corrupting, he need never feel that he had lived in vain. Oh, this is all just bullshit. This is all him just bullshit. Yeah, again, this more bullshit. It's all complete horseshit. Yeah. It's um, just like this. Again, this, these are all quotes from his autobiography. This just seems and, like completely nothing. This just seems like just pure fucking pablum to feed to like somebody who wants to quote him eventually. Mm-hmm. And that's that's all it is. This is the most meaningful quote that he has about showmanship, and this is all that it shows. Is that he is just about buying and selling, and however he can get that profit, however he can get that money, however he can get away with as low an o- overhead as possible, he will. And all trade is the same to him. Everything is, is viable. He had no problem with his salespeople using hoaxes or humbugs, as he frequently referred to them, um, and he would honestly encourage them to use them as often as possible. Oh, Yeah. P.T. Barnum was a huge, like, the reason that carnivals make so much sense, right, is, like, P.T. Barnum, like, definitely carved out a huge niche in how carnivals were treated in America. Because carnivals were, like, yes, like, historically, there would be, like, thieves or swindlers or confidence men of a certain kind, always in carnivals, (laughs) uh, even in Europe. But, like, traveling circuses, traveling carnivals in Europe also had like a more significant and cultural and usually like even maybe like mystical or or religious in certain ways like purpose there whereas in america it's purely commercial and it is much more predatory it's like taking it's it's that very uniquely american thing of taking something from the old world and just like turning it up to 11 in, in how nasty and mean-spirited and cruel it can be. Making it as extreme as possible. Because that's what we view that we have to do, even though it is totally incorrect and not necessary. Yeah, exactly. You have to heighten everything. His roles in politics and his other personal life, I will cover very briefly before the end of the episode here. Um, P.T. Barnum was active in politics as many landed land or as many landed men were in the 19th century. He was a Democrat for quite some time. Uh, this was when the Democrats were the conservative Democrats, the slave owners. Uh, yes, the the slave owning landowners of the United States. Uh, he eventually came to oppose slavery publicly, uh, leaving the Democratic Party and joining the Republican Party. He denounced his own previous ownership of slaves. Um, I cannot truly say that he was any better of a man for this because he would simply own people in other ways moving forward. Yeah, I I think he just saw which way the wind was blowing and realized that he had a better method already. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, well, if I trap you in debt and service to me, I have you as good as I did even better than when you were than if i owned you as a slave because at least now you're much more motivated to work for me because there's the illusion that you'll be able to leave one day uh yeah. even you know despite when you're a slave like there is the tendency for you to like become complacent because you know there's no end oh. 
P.T. Barnum is also to thank for uh, an antiquated con- contraception law on Connecticut's books. Oh. He made it a crime to uh, use contraception and also made it a crime to become an accessory to the use of contraception. Oh, so are they fighting that now that Roe v. Wade's been overturned? Probably. Awesome. Yeah. Um, eventually losing a congressional run, he would become mayor of Bridgeport, Connecticut, um, improving some things and making life a lot worse for many other people with liquor and prostitution laws. <clears throat> Pro? Pro liquor and prostitution? No. Um, you don't, you don't, you don't make people's lives worse by being pro liquor and pro prostitution. Well, some people. No, it's only when you, you really force it. Um, (laughs) he quote unquote enjoyed profitable philanthropy. Um, he would just kind of throw things, throw money at things that he liked. Uh, but he would also be involved in the board of trustees at Tufts University which is an old university. Um, he was not on it for very long, and he didn't do a whole lot as far as like administration goes. He just kind of threw money at it because that's what you, do, what you do when you're a rich man and you're part of the board of trustees on a college. Now, as far as his death goes, uh, P.T. Barnum died with a lot of money, Um, the equivalent of billions today. He died at home, comfortably in bed of a stroke, and was buried in a cemetery that he had designed and owned. He was. So P.T. Barnum died a very rich man. Like I said earlier in the episode, like Colin just said there, he won in his lifetime. He did it. Out of all the scammers that we talk about on this show... Out of all the people that we've talked about who've, like, really gotten their comeuppance or who have, like, really had their money taken away from them, P.T. Barnum is not it. P.T. Barnum won. Yeah, P.T. Barnum didn't try to cut his dick vein in the sauna of a Lifetime Fitness. P.T. Barnum went out like a fucking G. Yeah, he died at 80 years old in 1891. So he lived a very long and prosperous life for his time. Beating the odds. And that is that long and prosperous life from the perspective of P.T. Barnum. Next week, we will be coming at this from a different perspective. We will be going over the whole narrative again from beginning to end, from the outside, and looking at the destruction and the broken lives and the people that P.T. Barnum beat down behind him as he made his way to the top there is no call to action this episode because pt barnum is fucking dead find Um, his grave piss on it yeah don't be a huckster or if you do do it with the wealth do it Um, with some flair you know what that's Uh, i feel like that's the call to action it's the fucking satanic commandment like be fashionable bitches be fashionable bitches i don't think that's the satanic commandment but you know whatever it's basically work the aesthetic queen work the aesthetic queen yes that's what anton LeMay meant it really is it really is what he meant yeah all right well we'll be back again next week with another episode on pt barnum from me uh and after that we'll be working on some other stuff to bring some tasty tidbits to your ears right here on worst in the industry thank you for listening once again
Anton LaVey also said that French dressing tastes like a vaginal fluid. I don't think Anton LaVey has ever... He's either never eaten pussy or never had French dressing. He said that blue cheese dressing was reminiscent of jock straps in locker rooms and thus was gay for a man to eat. He's not incorrect that it does kind of smell like dick smell. I hard disagree. My dick has never been so dirty that it smells like gorgonzola. Yeah, but like, I'm not talking about your dick. I'm just talking about like... I've never smelled a dick so dirty that it it was reminiscent of blue cheese. Listen, man, you go to enough gym locker rooms. I don't. I don't know why you're... Justin, you're cruising fucking gym locker rooms, sniffing the jock straps, (laughs) reporting back. Keeping them under your scent journal. We'll talk about it next week. That's my scent journal. Yeah, it's the the one with the key lock. (laughs) Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Love you. Cherish you. Put them in the wheel and they still won't. I could probably get a deal with Coke. If I wasn't rapping about the past back, dealing dope. Got the offer and it's real low. Over one mil and it's still low. They all corporate, they all cute in suits. Yeah, on bullshit with all that poop to scoop. My shit going up. I go root to roof. They don't like that. They want mute the truth. They gon' switch sides. They go group to group. They want shoot the shit. Ain't got shit to shoot till I go crazy. Go and get the baby shark and hit him with the do-do-do-do-do-do. Damn, big boy, you gotta shoot it with two hands. Couple John Doe come through like who's man's. Nah, she blew it like two grams Everyone I lose, abuse the fuse hands I'm right there on the edge of insanity Overlooking Vegas, overthinking my vanity You've been throwing shade, I'm enjoying the canopy Everybody dies, so I live out of fantasy Yeah, can I talk my shit now? I was playing two-hand touch, fuck it up, it's a hit now When I hit the road, do a show, hit a lick, then I skip town up in the spot, no dance, and I make them all get down. Boy, you need to sit the fuck down. Yeah. I don't even talk my shit now unless I got a reason. Everybody watching like Netflix got a new season. I'ma get rich, hit the dealership, get the new bands out. Bottom line, 316, like Stone Cold says so. They bury me alive, I was dead broke I've been living in the no-flex zone About to make a move, it's an escrow Cooking in the kitchen, my sauce like magic My pesto like presto Off a little bean, that espresso Little bit of lean like I'm getting over chest code Got no chain, no, I can't chill A-ball, got me feeling like A-mill Can't stay still, can't feel off a pain kill Got the little orange pill, not the day quill They fake with it, they ain't real they talk about bricks, but they can't build. I'm frank with it. I'm Jake Jill. I only sold gas. I'm Hank Hill. Tank filled with the propane. It's like a 10K grill. It's a throwaway. They never ask if I'm okay. I'm never okay. Everybody want to cut. It's a dry vocal. I'm anti-love, anti-social. I'm bipolar. I'm bi-coastal. I might buy one and go postal. Can I talk my shit now? I was playing two-hand touch, fuck it up, it's a hit now. When I hit the road, do a show, hit a lick, then I skip town. Run up in the spot, no dance, and I make them all get down. Boy, you better sit the fuck down.